0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Cast Ice, the podcast that explores the great big wild world of tabletop gaming that exists today. It's been said once or twice, mainly on this podcast, that we are in the middle of a gaming renaissance. There are just too many good games that we can spend our hobby time and our hobby dollars on. And it can lead to a serious case of not knowing what to play next. And I guess that's the purpose of this podcast. It's to dig into the games that my guests and I enjoy playing to talk about big industry events, and uh, to talk to the people who create these wonderful games that we enjoy playing. Now, today is a mix of kind of all of those. And I'm really excited because I get to talk to an old buddy from Games Workshop Days, someone who we recently had a conversation about when our old buddy Dave Taylor was on, and he was talking about his next big project. He's working on another wonderful Kickstarter of... a a hobby tome to help those who are looking to decorate their dungeons for either role-playing or tabletop or even wargaming because again all the stuff that Dave has had his little pause in always comes out fantastic and I'm really excited about the next book and we are going to talk about it a little bit later in the episode is the kickstarter that has just gone live But before we get to any of that, we need to talk about the amazing hobby skills and the awesome hobby guy that is a gentleman who, when I, right before I worked for Games Workshop, was sort of on his way out, and then I went in, and then he was running the Outrider program, and then I became an Outrider right when he stopped doing that. So we're like ships in the night. We've known each other many years, but yet we've never quite worked together And man, he has been behind some fantastic uh, hobby tones Uh, as a freelancer for Fantasy Flight. He's been a part of creating quite a few of the 40K universe role-playing books, one of the Key Forge books, but more importantly for a lot of the conversation that we're going to start with today, behind quite a few of the Star Wars role-playing books. Of course, I'm talking about Jeff Hall, Jeff, man, it is awesome to hear your voice again and to see your face. Welcome back to Cast Dice, brother. How you doing?
1: Great. Thank you so much, Brad. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you so much for having us uh, to talk about the Kickstarter and just gaming in general. And I'm super excited to be here and chatting with you.
0: Brilliant. Now, before we go anywhere, I want to mention if you want to go check out on Kickstarter, the tremendous tome of decorating dungeons. So I'm going to say that again, the Tremendous Tome of Decorating Dungeons. Now, we're going to get back to it in depth later in the episode, but I do want to mention while we're talking today, I know some of you like to scroll through things and look at pictures and check things out, if it helps to put some of the conversations that we're having into context, you can go to Kickstarter and you can see what we're talking about and sort of Jeff's stuff while we're on it, and I will be posting pictures of some of Jeff's Star Wars terrain games uh, through the Cast Dice Facebook page. If you want to see pictures there as well, there's lots of great stuff today, guys. Make sure you check out the and, visuals. And if you I'm don't saying.
1: mind, Brad, I can. I also have an Instagram account where I've been starting to put Please. pictures of terrain builds and everything else called RPG terrain builds on Instagram. Just something I recently started. You know, been been building that up as a chance to to really focus. You know, specifically on these cool tables for Star Wars, D&D, whatever it may be.
0: Brilliant. Now, what's that again for those of you? Because I was talking when you started saying that. RPG terrain builds. Brilliant. Jeff, you have been, as I said, working on a ton of RPG material and games source books for quite a while. How did you go from tabletop gaming? I mean, clearly, we both work for Games Workshop. How did you jump off from that into RPGs, or did role-playing games come first for you?
1: Role-playing games came first. I mean, I started in D&D when I was in, like, sixth grade, probably. God, it's been 30-plus years that Mm -hmm. I've been, you know, a D&D fan, and uh, and it was kind of the other way. I I went to a gaming convention in the early 90s, like, 1991 with some of my, my best friends at the time and to, to play D because that's all we did we, we love D and uh and once we were there we saw people playing 40k and we were like oh my god what is that <laughs> you know mm-hmm. we were just blown away by miniatures and tabletop stuff and then we came home with piles of miniatures and and uh, yeah we started playing 40k and then fantasy and and all, all the while also you know starting to incorporate miniatures into our D games mm-hmm. you know old Partha and grenadier stuff and and it's just kind of all you know Built from there, and, and I, I'm a writer. I have a writing degree. That's what I went to college for. Um, so, you know, once I had the opportunity, I, I always wanted to write for RPG books. And then, luckily, you know, some folks from Games Workshop went on to other careers at Fantasy Flight and other companies. And then they they knew, you know, I had some writing talent. I worked, wrote for White Dwarf and things while I was with GW. Mm-hmm. And they they reached out and said, Hey, would you be interested in you know working on this book or that? And kind of been been down that path ever since.
0: Brilliant. Oftentimes, we think of tabletop gaming you know, having a bunch of different um, offshoots, you know, role-playing games, tabletop war games, board games, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The, the lines between haven't always been as firm. In fact, I would say these days, there's far more connection between the two. I mean, if we go back to its origins, Warhammer 40,000 was almost more of a role-playing game than it was oh, an actual tabletop game. Yeah, was, if you really
1: a, look yeah. at Rogue Trader, it, it it feels like a RPG. You know, it's just you're, you're building a character with stats and, mm-hmm. and, and skills more than than an army. You know, it was just a small group of guys, you know, a marine squad or or, or mix of things. And, you know, it definitely had way more RPG elements. Uh, most of the early stuff, I think, did. You know, it, it kind of all came out of that Warhammer Fantasy roleplay book, you know, very similar genre of stats and, and percentiles and things and mm-hmm. I, I feel that yeah it was way more more rpg driven back in the day
0: there was a time though where there was a strong line between the two right and like role players were one thing and miniature wargamers were another thing and never oh, did they meet in the middle other than in right. secret right but now because yeah, you, it's you felt
1: that the grognards of, of tabletop mm-hmm. wargaming didn't want to Sully with the with those dirty Dungeons and Dragons players, and vice versa. But even if you go go back to the Gary Gygax, I mean, he he was writing these things based off of you know miniature wargame rules. Like mm-hmm. he came at that front, and then just wanted to expand. I, I recently watched an interview that he talked about how that that first thing was all about like how to how to run a scenario where they were invading a castle, and and once they got through the dungeons, you know, as a way in. They were, they were traipsing around to, to achieve some objective in this miniature war game. And then people were like, I had a lot of fun, you know, going through the dungeon part. And that led to building Dungeons and & Dragons and more and more adventuring through, through a dungeon versus, you know, just straight up armies clashing, you know, outside the castle.
0: And that, I mean, it's that eye for detail and that zooming in. I mean, so many times when we started out as war gamers, only because I know we played with some of the same people, some of the terrain that we played on was pretty basic. It's almost like the more we have focused in by looking at role-playing and bringing in different elements of bringing the tabletop to life, it's almost like a lot of those role-playing elements have been dragged into the miniature wargaming setting to add that detail to really make it a more immersive uh, experience than just pushing, you know, chits around on a tabletop.
1: Right, and I, I think, for me, that's always been the case, when, whether it was just playing 40k or Warhammer, more than just two armies clashing, we always wanted to have a fun scenario backing it that, you know, mm-hmm. all right, while these armies are fighting, this squad has to go inside this building and, you know, deactivate the computer terminal or or, or shut down the power grid or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, you always want to incorporate those, like, role-playing elements of, of why you're doing, you know, something than just shooting each other and, you know, blowing up tanks or whatever.
0: Exactly. Now, you and I both, of course, came from 40K backgrounds, and we both loved the old role-playing, but we also both love Star Wars. I could talk about my love of Star Wars, and I have many times in the past, but you, like, it is really a focus for your hobby, both for recent years, today, when you were a kid... Um, You've worked, as I said, for Fantasy Flight Games uh, in the past, writing a bunch of their source books for the Star Wars role-playing game and being associated with that. But you also like putting it on the tabletop, Uh, but not necessarily in a way that a lot of people think. A lot of people automatically assume these days, well, there's a Star Wars miniatures game, so that's the game I have to play if I'm going to play Star Wars on the tabletop. But I think you and I both come at it in a slightly different way in that we are using a lot of the Star Wars Legion miniatures and some of the awesome third-party manufacturer of 3D uh, STLs to flesh out what you can put on the tabletop and using different game systems to play Star Wars on the tabletop. How did you come to Star Wars and, like, what made you bring it back out on the tabletop? Was it working on FFG? Like,
1: Uh, Because my role-playing games are not just theater of the mind. It's very visual to me. Mm -hmm. Like, if I'm going to play an RPG, I'm going to set up what you're seeing. And that might mean that I'm changing the table three or four times in an evening, you know, because we're switching, you know, wherever we are in Mm -hmm. in the game. Um, The same thing applied to Star Wars. And I felt that if I'm going to play Star Wars, I want to see it, and that's going to mean that I build you know an entire Tatooine style desertscape mm-hmm. i have probably 60 or so buildings that i'm in in the works on mm-hmm. it's going to make a serious like Coruscant Narshada like high tech looking city mm-hmm. according with maps and i'm building like street lights and all kind of crazy stuff to go with that um, i want to see whatever planet we're on if we're going down in a cave you know with to get your kyber crystal to build your lightsaber if you're a jedi guess what you're gonna get, i'm gonna have a full cave set up with glowing crystals and and everything else i i wanna i want it to be visual i want to i want to show what, what you're seeing and that's kind of my approach and that's kind of where also i've done some kind of one shots of like a very rpg heavy miniature game where there might be an objective like all right you're gonna go to building b and then go here to, to do this that and the other thing and it's very much a miniature game but it's not like straight up legion it's you know there's going to be things oh this skiff just pulled up and a bunch of bounty hunters jumped out or or jabba's goons you know rolled up mm-hmm. or you got to get to the ship now and there's an imperial blockade you know that's that's rolled up and you and you know trying to stop your ship from leaving so it's not necessarily something you get when you just say all right I'm making an 800-point army. You're making an 800-point army, and we're going to (laughs) fight. You know, there has to be a a GM component basically to it, and uh, and I've been trying to find a happy medium for the rules to do a more Star Wars skirmishy miniature thing. Like I said, I've I've incorporated some basic like stripped down D and D style rules Mm -hmm. of like old Star Wars d20. Um, I'm kicking around this whole idea of like, would Star Wars work in like a war cry or kill team setting, you know, mm-hmm. where you just have this little war band and you're trying to achieve some objectives. You know, there's, there's lots of things we're we're experimenting with in my gaming group and we're, we're excited to to try some new things out.
0: Yeah. That was my next question. Are you sort of homebrewing it or what rule sets are you adapting? I know recent- most of it's
1: homebrew. Yeah. Most it's of definitely it's homebrew. homebrew. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Well, recently Uh, For example, well, uh, listeners of the show would know that Drew and I did a a podcast for a while, and I'm hoping we'll do it again at some point, called Beyond the First Marker. Uh, And we spent a lot of time about discussing how to bring that narrative element to Legion on the tabletop. Because when the game first came out, there was a lot of releases that sort of seemed that didn't go together. Like, you could have snowtroopers and stormtroopers in your Imperial Army together, but there weren't... stormtrooper e-webs, there were only snowtrooper e-webs, but right. like the things didn't match up, so you couldn't make a theme And for some
1: it. reason, they released Emperor Palpatine, like what? Yeah. <laughs> like, what? Wh- why Why is he there?
0: <laughs> exactly, and like it's cool, but it's also, it, it makes for, it, it's more of a looking at a unit uh, for what it does on the tabletop rather than from what it might be narratively, so it really does Throw some players like myself out of the narrative when you're trying to play these games, which is where companies like Skullforge, who, as you guys know, I'm a huge fan of, uh, and there's plenty of other great companies, but Skullforge happens to be my favorite, where they create like the gaps. Like I was able to get Stormtrooper models to be the gunners for my eWeb models that I bought for Star Wars Legion. So I was able to readapt it to make it visually gel. But Uh, In wanting to play smaller, more narrative games like what you're describing, Jeff, Drew and I sat down and we played seven TV Star Wars. Now, seven TV is like the ultimate sandbox game. Skirmish, you have, you know, about 10 models to a side, if that. And you are able to play out scenarios on the tabletop as if it is a TV series. And the more Disney Plus comes into its own, the more this works. Um, where you have a cast and there are set mishaps and wardrobe malfunctions and crazy things that happen, and you're trying to get the MacGuffin, it's it's very tongue in cheek, so much fun. But they there, if you go to the 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 actual Crooked Dice, who are the manufacturers of Seven TV website, uh, if you go to their web store, you can actually get. I think it's it's either free or it's something like five pounds. ...for the Star Wars full set of rules... ...and it gives you all the character cards... ...all the expansions... ...and you can play Star Wars 7 TV... ...which is so much fun. So that was one thing... ...that we did. But also recently... ...I got together with my buddy Lee... ...and we sat down to play... ...a game of Star Wars. Uh, It was vacation, we were both wanting a nice relaxed game. Lee isn't a huge fan of Star Wars Legion... ...but he loves, loves Star Wars... Having, having cases of Star Wars painted models, I said, cool, let me put something together. And I put together a Tatooine board, and I put Imperials on one side and Rebels on the other, and we played uh, a game where it was one of the test scenarios for the new Bolt Action Alliance mission pack, one of the, the fun asides, not one of the more serious missions. But instead of trying to capture... Uh, the saboteurs or the spies or whatever World War 2 idea that you want to use for that mission. We had captured the Jawa and I had five Jawas mm-hmm. down the middle of the board and we played bolt action. And yes, we adapted the rules. For example, we said that stormtroopers count as regular troops, but they shoot as inexperienced, so they are harder it's harder for them to hit things, but they have heavier armor of veteran troops. And so You know, they had the leadership of regular. So it was a little bit thinking outside the box. And I will actually do a full episode of how to reskin Bolt Action later because I've been doing actually a lot of that recently for a lot of different settings. But playing Bolt Action, and I know that there's someone else out there has done Star Wars Bolt Action, but I was inspired by Craig Baxter of the old Bolt Action Alliance fame who had a ton of the... Star Wars clicks models or uh, Watsy The Watsy yeah. like, yeah, Star Not Wars clicks, level stuff.
1: Yep. But yeah, right. similar they idea. Weren't...
0: But he mm-hmm. used to play bolt action using those uh, once a year for giggles. And it always looked awesome. And we did the same thing. Uh, again, it was so much fun. But being we able to- We played Star Wars yeah.
1: back in the day, way before there was any sort of real rules. I mean, back in the 90s, we would run convention games when we were, we built the Battle of Hoth for a local convention back in Pittsburgh. Nice. Um, with Kenner Adats, the fleet action scale um, Micro Machine snow speeders, because they were basically the right scale to a Kenner Adat. Mm-hmm. And all of the troops were, because at one point Micro Machine made little 15 mil packs of star wars guys course, like and you yeah. would get a whole thing of, of stormtroopers or a whole thing of rebels and, and and different things and you know it was this huge game we played it on the floor it was like a 10 by 20 battlefield you know so you could use these big adats. you know everybody take your shoes off you know we built felt tills and you know just but yeah we like the the desire to run a star Wars game has been around for so long. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, it's wonderful to see now there's real rules and there's ways to do it, but you know, people have been homebrewing awesome star Wars games. I think the first gen con I went to and back in 93, I have pictures like on an old, you know, in an old photo album from a film camera of like, there was a damn star Wars game going on. Mm -hmm. It was really cool. And you're just like, that's so cool.
0: (laughs) And we've seen how many times have we seen in the past, a white space Marine army with a black, chaplain as the leader who happens to have a darth vader helmet like
1: yeah or or someone's painted a sentinel to be kind of like a scout walker and you know all of those things that people have been just trying forever to make star wars miniatures a thing and uh i was at the gen con when fantasy flight unveiled legion and uh because of kind of some of my connections they gave me the heads up the night before that, hey, we're going to unveil the Star Wars miniature game tomorrow. And I was like, oh man, Mm -hmm. it's finally happening. (laughs) Like we're getting Star Wars in 28 mil, 32, whatever, you know, truly classify it as now. And uh, yeah, it's just been, been really cool.
0: Yeah, and it's so good. Like, I know that, for example, I got a bunch of 3D print files and sort of did a little kit bashing and converting to make it totally work for what I wanted. But for me, like one of the first things I wanted to do with that, as soon as that happened, one of my favorite movies of all time, *Empire Strikes Back*, I wanted the bounty hunters, and so I was able to track down the entire uh, bounty hunting group that was standing on Vader's flagship, uh, Devastator. Um, am I getting that right? My I...
1: executor. Yeah, executor.
0: Yes. Sorry. Um, <laughs> and talking about, but having that bounty hunter group on to be able to put it on the table was just amazing and then i was able to put panda baba and uh dr evansanz and greedo and you know all these other you know scum personalities just to be able to sneak them into my games and i was trying to figure out what counts as them for legion but then the more i'm playing star wars games using other rule sets the more they just naturally segue in like, really well. And it it just, it adds so much uh, to have those characters, uh, or even to have them as sort of NPC, almost, uh, interactive elements on the tabletop when you're playing a game where they might try and run away or you have to try and capture them or they're shooting at you and they happen to shoot at both sides. There's just a lot of great stuff you can do with that. Now, Jeff, you... I've been looking at your Star Wars terrain. It's outstanding. You take a lot of elements from a lot of places. Battle Kiwi, uh, Imperial Terrain. I'm trying to think of all the, the companies that make awesome Star Wars terrain.
1: Yeah, Corvus uh, Terrain mm-hmm. uh, does some really awesome stuff. That's a lot of the sci-fi, like higher like tech buildings I have. Uh, most of the um, Tatooine stuff is, is from Imperial Terrain um mixed in with some some laser cut stuff like you said Mm -hmm. from battle kiwi and other things i have all of the battle kiwi like the the endor Mm -hmm. uh, platforms and and things built and the the big shield generator and bunker and and all that and uh but yeah i i've never been one to like stick to to one thing i I scour the web and and everywhere i can Mm -hmm. to find as many cool things as possible and, you know, 3D printing has really changed our industry. I, I mean, I, I'll be the first to admit a couple of years ago, I'm like, ah, whatever. These 3D prints aren't very good. Mm. <laughs> you know, like, I, I don't see that being a thing. And then, you know, but Surprise. technology has come come leaps and bounds and amazing, you know, they're, they're not just great prints on $10,000 printers. You get great prints on a $200 printer now. And, you know, it's just so there's so many great things that you can do. And I've kind of leaned into it whole wholeheartedly. I have a, a literal six foot tower sitting next to me right now in my my hobby area that's filled of, of like Rubbermaid drawers and it's just filled with 3D printed terrain. Yeah. And most of it is like D&D and Underdark and things for for upcoming projects there. But like, you know, I I've, I used to have it filled with Star Wars stuff until I finished stuff or reboxed it and to move it to, to a you know better storage solution. But yeah, there's so much amazing stuff you can do right now with STLs, and it, it's really crazy.
0: Now, I, I do want to slowly segue towards the tremendous tome of decorating dungeons. One of the great things that you do, both in the upcoming book, but also with your Star Wars train, is oftentimes when we see books... It's how to create terrain from scratch. Like we saw that with the Mel Bowes book, uh, the Terrain Tutor, right. who is creating all this stuff from scratch. That's not necessarily what you're doing. You do some of that, it, but you no, are a taking little. you're taking established terrain and you're taking it to the next level. And man, That's looking at something, in, this Dave and yeah. I
1: really wanted to do. We yeah. wanted to take existing kits we wanted you to be able to take your whiz kids warlock tiles your dwarven forge mm-hmm. maybe some 3d printed things whatever that may be and really make it your own and really make it shine make it so that you know everything looked really cool maybe you're not crazy about you know the whiz kids pre-painted tiles because they're just basic gray well let's show you how to make them in sandstone let's mm-hmm. show you how to make them with cool grimy streaks and water and bits and and so they look that much better on the tabletop, and so you can still p- play with whatever you have. And you may, for some people, they're perfectly fine with the way it comes out of a package, and, and, and great, you know. And it's wonderful that these things even exist because right. you know when we started out, you were just drawing on some graph paper, mm-hmm. and <laughs> maybe if you were lucky, you found a Chessex map that you could draw with a dry erase marker on, whatever. But like, there weren't three D dungeons, there weren't options for all these really cool things. But uh, so we want to show people that have existing products, don't have the time or effort to cut everything out of foam or, or, you know, carve it up out of blue foam, pink foam, whatever it may be. We want you to take existing things and just really take it to the next level. And, And that's, you know, hopefully what this book will show everybody.
0: What are some of the basics that you guys are covering? I mean, clearly you also cover how to create some basic stuff as well, um, but then also where to go. Because we have companies like TT Combat, for example, or Knights of Dice, who have ranges that are intentionally basic terrain. Like you can get dungeon-crawling floors that have little tiny walls that stick up. And there's tons of places on Etsy you can get that sort of thing as well, which is just real basic footprints but then to, to move people around and it gives you the idea and then you can fill in the details with imagination, but then you guys tell us how we can actually fill it in in real life as well. Right.
1: Right. That's our goal is, and you know, we're going to focus a lot on Dwarven Forge and Warlock tiles because they're kind of the, the big daddies on the mm-hmm. block and you know, and a lot of people have those and you know, in Dwarven Forge, you can get some awesome pre-painted stuff and the same with Warlock tiles come pre-painted. Um, but you know, again, like I said, we want you to be able to take it and really make it your own. If you're buying Dwarven Forge, it's a premium price, and mm-hmm. so if you're, a lot of people are buying it unpainted because it does save you some money, so we want to show you, you know, ways to make all these cool things. Like right now, I'm taking a lot of the Dwarven Forge cavern pieces, and I'm doing it in like a very purpley, what they call like an underdoom scheme. So it's very deep, underdark, you know, drow, fae magic mm-hmm. kind of purples and greens and and things um but we're gonna we're gonna cover all that kind of stuff we're gonna show you how to do a sandstone uh you know a desert de- dungeons in the desert um we're gonna show you how to do like dank caverns and and dungeons where there's like piles of pools of water and drippy you know slime on the walls and uh and then we're just gonna have a, a good gallery of different things like this is what a limestone cave looks like this is what a um an obsidian cavern might be this is a weird you know, dwarven mine, how you can do gold and things, little veins of, of mithril and things running through. So we want to just show you lots of cool ideas for existing pieces and how you can paint them different ways to, to be what you want or take something and just add that little bit of extra to it, you know, even mm-hmm. if it's already pre-painted, you might want to be able to do some washes and dry brushing over some existing stuff just to, to really enhance it a little bit more than what you're getting, you know, out of the box.
0: And what I love about this is Again, you don't have to create it from scratch. like sometimes that is really intimidating. Again, you're taking something that it is already existing and you're again adding detail to it. But also this book's great in that it is, I think the least expensive of the projects that Dave has helped back in the past. Um, as far as these resource books, they're fantastic, the quality's great, but you know, they tend to be epic tomes and you know, That can cost a little bit of money. This, again, great tome. You're going to get the same quality. But just like you're adding detail to an existing bit of terrain that you might already have or that you're thinking about getting and you're kind of not sure about, this is really inexpensive. And you can either buy it as a PDF or as a physical book or both. And what you're getting is 96 pages. And it's softback this time. 96 pages of resources which I think is awesome um, now there are going to be some stretch goals along here where you guys are going to be um, there's gonna be some freebies where there's going to be some one-shot adventures you know inspired by various future builds for the book and you'll get those as high-res pdfs and other things as well clearly the more people the back um, I know Dave likes to slip in little bonuses on the books uh, once enough people have backed and he's able to, to do that. Jeff, you got to be excited about this, right? I mean, I, I'm super about, excited yeah,
1: because, you know, and as, is, is, as I said, I, I've written a lot of books at this point for, for things, but they've been other people's books. Right? This is my book with mm-hmm. Dave. And, and, you know, th- this is the first thing that I feel is really, you know, more mine, mm-hmm. and, you know, and we're working on it together, obviously, but you know, it's not just a contributing author even one of the Star Wars bo- two of the Star Wars books I wrote I was the sole author on but it's still not the same it's it's a fantasy plate book you know right. it's whatever it's somebody else's thing so this I feel you know this is more almost like printing publishing your own novel or something you know it has your name you're, you're, this is all you It gets really exciting and uh, I'm really looking forward to it and it's such a huge passion of mine um, building these great RPG layouts that, that I'm really excited about it
0: now I, I want to draw an underline under this because I know a lot of the people who who listen to the show are big tabletop gamers in the form of war games, occasional role playing games, but more often we get a lot of war gaming, board gaming, that kind of thing. And just because we're talking about this being a dungeon book, I imagine that some people are immediately saying, "Yeah, okay, that's cool, but it's not for me. Like I don't do that. That's not my thing." Well. I am building terrain for an upcoming bolt action event coming up on Easter. And I literally was thinking about, I was doing the notes for this episode when I got a knock on the door from the postman and I got uh, a box from, of terrain that I need to paint up in the mail. And it is literally 10 feet of 28 millimeter little stone walls that I need to paint for this event. And it's quite a lot of walls, and I was thinking, how am I going to paint this? And I then literally the next thing I thought was, God, I wish I had Jeff's book uh, because <laughs> I'm sure there would be something in there that could, you know, help me take this from just dry brush gray, dry brush gray on top again. And if I'm really lucky and I'm feeling particularly, you know, spicy that day, I might take a third level of extra light, extra highlighting dry brush on top of that. I'm sure Jeff's got something good I can do in there because this will help you to bring those narrative elements to the tabletop, regardless if you're playing tabletop war games, if you're playing you know, skirmish games, or if you're playing role-playing games. The ideas carry over. So this is, again, a great way of taking your existing terrain to that next level, right? Because a lot of the games that, like the pictures of your Star Wars games, look almost like you're playing Legion, but you're not. Right. You're playing a role-playing but- game.
1: But we're playing a role-playing game or a, a skirmish miniature game that's very RPG background-driven with, with the way the scenario is set. And, yeah, it's it's about building that narrative all through it. It, it all comes down to immersion. Um, you know, we want our tables to bring you the fe- all the feels. You know, I want, mm-hmm. I want people to walk in and be like, oh, my God, I'm so excited to play on this. Or this looks like a set. Of, of an episode of the mandalorian or boba fett or mm-hmm. you know whatever it is you know there's all this stuff going on and you know we want that to be the case and and really to hit you right in, right in the feels so you're pl- so excited to play and you, you all through the game you're just like oh look at that look at the doorway there's a there's a little cat look at this there's this little hidden thing mm-hmm. you know just like those ideas we got back in the day when we'd go and check out a game's day table or you know god and i was like five. My uncle across the street had an awesome train layout and I used to love just going and looking for all the little hidden things. Mm-hmm. So it's all about, you know, really making everything shine to that level.
0: I'm really glad you said that because that is literally my next talking point. How do you get the inspiration for to come up with the ideas for this? Because it, it's it's one thing to have the skills to add those extra elements to the tabletop. But how, where do you find the inspiration as someone who, who, who does like to do this and has done it for years of adding those, those little details to the terrain on a tabletop? I'll admit, I'm terrible at it. That is like, one of my, I, I just do not have that ability whatsoever. My stuff is straight down the nose. It, it is what it is, and it's on the tabletop. And I think it looks good. But I don't have the cute little hidden details that really takes it to the next level. My brain just doesn't work that way. Um, for those of you out there like me, um, Jeff, can you do you have any words of wisdom on there, or where do you get your inspiration from? Because I know everyone looks at it differently, but is there something so, that you would recommend?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it goes back to art. Obviously, you're you're looking at cool pictures, and mm-hmm. whether it's like a D and D book or a 40k painting, you know, of a cover, um, and it's all about. To me, like I would spend hours, you know, since we're on the Star Wars topic, w- re-watching episodes of Rebels or Clone Wars mm-hmm. and and different things, just in looking at the backgrounds, looking at all those little things. I, I have a huge shelf full of art books of mm-hmm. the, the making of of every Star Wars movie and series and and everything, you know, of that nature. Um, and just getting those ideas of like, oh wow, like you know, this street has you know these cool signs, or you know, there's this little dispensary on the corner where they're you know giving out droid power char- you know charges or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, it just and then taking that and and finding ways to incorporate that, whether you're building or 3D printing or buying Mantic you know terrain crate kits, whatever it may be, all those little add-on right? mm-hmm. things and taking. You know, and having just a huge repertoire of that, like I have stacks of boxes that are just filled with painted, you know, this, I have an entire box filled with library things for if I'm going to do a, you know, a library for for an RPG game or if I'm going to, and, you know, this one's filled with crates. This one might be filled with, you know, uh, like if I'm playing like, you know, a a sci-fi or modern game, like. This is a hospital ward. You know, there's so many great things out there now, like I said, from Mantic, WizKids, all these different places that give you just cool little bits, you know, it's like who would have thought that you could buy these different terrain boxes, you know, to do a cemetery and to do mm-hmm. all these things, you know, when when none of that existed, you know, <laughs> even 15 years ago, you know, they were so, you know, people had to make hard decisions. If you're going to make a kit, you're like, I better make this box of, you know, Fallschirmjager guys because... A lot of people will buy those. <laughs> exactly. Now you can make a box set of like, yeah, maybe a lot of people won't buy this convenience store kit. But look, there's a rack of clothing and a pot machine and, a, a you know, a, a pizza turner or whatever it may be, you know, exactly. that you can do some really crazy cool things now that, you know, who would have thought they would have made in plastic and, and accessible, you know, ages ago.
0: Yeah, I guess I just painted a porta potty and some recycling bins for Marvel Crisis Protocol that TT Combat happened to have in a in a urban terrain set, and I was like, "Cool, I'll I'll paint those up." And right, but saying when you were talking about the books, you really got me thinking because I've been collecting toy collecting guides because I've been working on my GI Joe project, obviously, and Transformers, but also I got the Star Wars toys collecting guide. The Balermo books, uh, I posted pictures of them on the cast dice page when I'm I'm constantly referring to them when I'm painting models. But of course, there are play sets for those toys and they all have those cute little details. I call them cute. I don't mean to sound derogatory at all. Like they're just those those little clever elements that were included in the toys as well. Those might be a good source of inspiration, particularly with Star Wars. Right, adding yeah. these
1: little bits and and, and add on things makes it feel real. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel like you're just setting up a hill, a wood, whatever. This you know, this is just going to be some line of sight blocking train. It could really just be a book you set on the table. Like, mm-hmm. it doesn't it doesn't bring you into the game. It doesn't bring you into the the setting all of these little things, putting a pile of like crumpled up papers to be like newspapers on a crisis mm-hmm. protocol table or or like you said, a porta potty and things like you're in a construction site and you have little sawhorses and road cones and, and and piles of debris. Like it just makes it feel like like you could step into that setting and, and look around. Like you're watching a movie, you're watching an episode of Hawkeye, you're watching whatever it is. You know, you're just mm-hmm. like, this just feels legit. It feels real because I've added all the extra bits that I, you know, we wouldn't normally see. And again, it all comes back to giving you that immersion. That, that's my key word is immersion. I, I want to feel like I'm there. And yeah. I really do when we, we, we play some of these games.
0: Because we as war gamers or gamers in general, tabletop gamers, be it skirmish, role player, whatever else, we spend so much time talking about how to paint your models. We spend so much time talking about how to convert the models so that they best reflect what you want either in your the narrative of your force or what you see in your head or what you just think looks cool. But how often do we actually then put even a fraction of that thought into what we put our models down on to play with? Now, in recent years, things are looking better and better and better with the proliferation of companies that are doing fantastic gaming mats, Right so gaming
1: mats pre-painted terrain like battlefield mm-hmm. the box or monster fight club and things it, it's mm-hmm. taking to that next level so you're not just like well I, I slapped together some mdf terrain but i didn't get around to painting it because yeah. why bother you know it's just like there's a building whatever it blocks line of sight it does what i need it to do mm-hmm. and I, I don't think that people and, and i'm glad you mentioned that that people spend so much time on their armies and and they customize things down. Oh, I had to do this guy to, to make sure he had the right grenade in his hand or whatever. Mm-hmm. But then they don't bat an eye. I, I saw this game today, you know, I, I work for a, a large gaming store. And, you know, so we have a huge game room. I saw guys today playing a game of Legion, as we were talking about, and they didn't bat an eye with these two nicely painted armies to throw down a lava mat, three snow hills, a ruined fantasy house, and <laughs> like some woods. And I'm like, what are you doing yeah. like that doesn't that's not a board no. <laughs> Like that like what why did you why would you put all those things together that doesn't look like anything you know because well it, it does what it needs to to you know there's three pieces of terrain aside whatever and we can you know throw our objective markers on it but i'm just like guys that it just that's terrible I, yeah. I it takes you out of the game entirely in my mm-hmm. opinion you might as well just be putting chits on a on a map like an old gmt style board game at that yeah, point exactly. you know
0: Well, it does. I mean, and I have said this on this show and others in the past, as soon as I start playing a game, like I spend hours and hours and hours and hours and hours, like we all do, painting armies so they are the best they can be. And you put them down on the tabletop. But the second the game starts, it's like the the green lines start dropping from the top of the screen and like the matrix hits and I don't see what's in front of me at all. All anymore, and I'm just focusing on the game. Now that could be the ADD in me, I don't know. But I guess in recent years, because I've been taking more photos for the for the cast ice page, I've realized how important it is to have a nice-looking table to have these miniatures on. Because while while I'm playing, it doesn't necessarily click. Like, I, I'm ashamed to say I might be one of those guys that you just described. However, the more I play on terrain that sensibly matches what we're doing, even in the World War II setting of like, huh, I've got Finns and Soviets, and yet we're playing in the middle of the desert, yeah that's not But because
1: great. if you if you go back to what got you into wanting to play these games in the first place you can i would guarantee you don't remember a single painted miniature from those initial things but you remember the tables yeah you were at a convention and you saw an amazing board that was done up like a ruined cityscape or or you know the one of the first ones i saw was this moonscape? And the guy had l- beautifully. He was a woodworker. He had cut all these awesome moon craters. And and the game involved like low gravity, so the guys could jump different things. It, but like, it was very evocative because it was this really cool board. And mm-hmm. across the the room, there was this huge medieval battle taking place where they were sacking a castle. I couldn't tell you a single miniature that was on there, but I remember how vivid the terrain was. Right. And that's what brought us all in. So for for us to then throw that out the window time and again, because like, I just throw the grass mat and some Hills down because we need to play this game. It, it, it kind of ruins what, why we got into it in the first place in my opinion.
0: Yeah. And I hear you. I mean, I was a terrible, awful, horrible, filthy, casual like kid. Like when I was playing with my friends because we didn't have anything else, we only like red white dwarf and dragon magazine, like, we literally just were playing with coffee cans and styrofoam that was unpainted because every time we tried to paint it, it would melt. And like uh, books, like it was awful. It was awful, awful, awful. But it, I still remember my experience of what you're talking about was the first time I was even, God, I'm embarrassed to say I was in college. It's, it may have been the day I met you. I, I walked into the Games Workshop Grand Tournament, the first one ever in Baltimore. And it was a hotel convention room that was wall-to-wall rows of gaming tables. But every table was made by the the promotions department. And I couldn't believe it. It was like, you know, the doors opened and the heavens parted and angels sang. And, like, I had been gaming for I don't know how many years, over 10 years at that point when I walked in that room and it changed the way i looked at gaming forever after.
1: Yeah, be- we we made a lot of effort to make, you know, and we tried to always kind of cycle things out, you know, that we'd mm-hmm. have three or four different tables for every for game for 40k and for fantasy right? and you know, of course they had to be somewhat uniform, but there was like, all right, this is going to be a row of the lava tables and this mm-hmm. is going to be a row of, you know, the the table with the the crashed comet on it for for Warhammer mm-hmm. and you know, but and with some empire houses and things and you know but everyone had to be painted had to be you know tip-top shape because you know they, you know for us as a company you know these people are paying 120 dollars or whatever to come to a weekend of gaming we got to make mm-hmm. their experience awesome but you know at the same time it, it's why you're playing a miniature game you That's want right. these really cool looking boards and that was the same thing we put into our game day tables you know for all those giant cool narrative battles mm-hmm. and like all right this is a wood elf versus beastman board what's well, going to be you know a big forest that's you know half cut down or whatever because the beast men are ransacking it mm-hmm. or or you know the ogres are surging out of the the ice lands and they're attacking kislev and you know th- that theme that had to translate into a board with the cool miniatures and uh you know many people like uh you know brad you obviously know jeremy v talk really well oh, yeah. and as do i and and I've talked a lot about that that we're we, we're in an age where we feel that like I would rather paint almost both sides of the army and mm-hmm. build the table that's themed around it to run a game than than ever really be like i oh, make a 500 point army and let's call it a day you <laughs> exactly, know like, right? it,
0: <laughs> Well it reminds me So that's kind me, of
1: where we've gotten to.
0: It reminds me of the the game speaking of games day I worked on the hunt for the fallen table one year um, sure. where it was hunting for the the fallen Dark Angels. And you had Dark Angels on one side and you had like Renegade Guard and Chaos Space Marines on the other side. And it was this massive table. Uh, of course, my memory is probably making it bigger than it was, but it, in my memory, it was like 12 by five or whatever. It was this huge table. It In reality, it was probably a four by six or maybe a four by eight. But it was like a ruined city. It had all these elements, but... We had all these, and by we, I worked on the table. I didn't make the table. like I worked on the day as one of the guys revving up the crowd and like, hey, roll dice, be, because being loud is what I do. But the production of the table was down, again, to you promotion guys, and there was like a, a ramp that came up from a, a, a an underground parking lot that had a garage door under the ground of the table, and mid-game it would roll up, and we would have units come out of it, but People didn't know the stuff was there, and so all of a sudden there were like things behind them. And they're like, "Wait, what? What happened? Like, why? No, ah!" But to have that, like, those little elements worked in the table made that game so fun. And just watching people's faces when it's like, "Oh my god, I didn't realize that actually opened, and there were things in it." Uh, and so you know, it, it, then it turned into, "Okay, what else is going to happen?" And it it added that unpredictability that you know really made that game sing. Plus, you know, of course, just all the beautiful terrain on top of that.
1: And that's where where you get the, the levels of, like, when you go back to the RPG side of things, like, if you're built, like, I'll send you some other pictures by the end of the night of, of one of my last D&D games where Please. I built basically an entire fantasy town. I built Waterdeep. We're playing in the Forgotten Realms. Yes. And, uh, it, you know, and I had all these buildings from foreground, and I had the streets from Dwarven Forge, and I have the little lantern LED street lights lit. And like, it's a night setting, awesome. but you know, when you add all of the details, the the market stalls and the things, and, and when you're in an RPG setting, you, you start looking at that, like, because when you're, you you can if you're just playing with nothing you can say well what do I see but if you can see what you see then you mm-hmm. might be like all right I'm gonna go over and look in that sewer grate and what do I what do I find when I look there or I'm gonna go look behind that stable mm-hmm. and there's some crates back there what's on those crates and then you could be like well it happens to be you find some blood drops or whatever that might lead you down to this clue where, you know you know the missing person but you know when you put all that out there it, it just helps your players really again. Yeah. Get that immersion so they can know what to look for these things are deliberate you've put them out there for a reason and and, and that really again brings everybody together and you're like all right well, i gotta really look around oh wait there's some light coming out of that building what's that all about oh why is it red you know mm-hmm. like because you have a little led in there that's you know something bad's going on there might be a ritual they're summoning a bad guy or whatever it might be yeah. um yeah so it, it's 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 adding those extra bits and details that really make everybody just get super excited. And like you said, when that garage door rolled up and a land Raider came out or something, yes. people are like, Oh no, like what's yes, going on. Exactly.
0: <laughs> and you have, um, I'm glad you said that because again, with, with tabletop gaming, like more of a war gaming set point standpoint, if you you could take the table you just described, maybe swap out a couple of the more fantasy-looking buildings with a couple of more, you know, otherwise, uh, maybe stone buildings, and all of a sudden it's a World War II table, a World War II yeah, table. Absolutely, and you're,
1: you're right on on the streets of, of you know Eastern Europe, and mm-hmm. and things are going down, and and again there there can be those objectives like, exactly. all right, if you take that go, I need you to take two squads and hold that stable, mm-hmm. you know, before the, the German line comes through here and, you know, then those things have a purpose and it, and they they fit and, and it's so much more exciting to talk about it in that regard of like, well, then we held, you know, the barn and, and this and that versus being like, I, I moved over to objective marker A, yeah, exactly. you know, there's and a little thing.
0: token with a happy face on it uh, in the corner uh, and you're uh, like, I'm uh, gonna right. go get that.
1: Yeah, like you you want that extra little bit. So it just feels so much more for live in your brain when you're when you're recounting how fun that game was with your bait with your mates.
0: Well, Jeff, let's I know we talked about it a little earlier, but let's go back to the tremendous tome with the chapters or sort of the layout of the book. I know in the past with some of Dave's other things, and I and I know I keep talking about it like Dave is like, this is Dave's project. and I know it's also, it's a collaboration between the two of you, but I know Dave is a big proponent of talking about how to plan things out before you begin, like having a plan of battle. And yes, that can deviate once you start, but you want to have, make sure that you have the right materials and that you are kind of going in one direction, even though that direction might change, that's important. Is that sort of how this book is going to go as well? Whereas you sort of start with an idea and you go with how do I go from an idea to a finished product? Is
1: absolutely, absolutely. Dave and I have been very, very. We've been talking a lot about that, and and the book's going to cover everything from that, from planning it out to whether you, you know, decide you're, if you're trying to recreate a dungeon from a module, like a printed book, you know, you might have a map already, or if you're gonna sketch out your own map, you know, like, you know, making sure it makes sense. All right, to all the, the pathways lead somewhere. This isn't a bunch of dead ends or, or things like that. So, you, you know, when you build your actual 3D layout, it makes sense um, to then taking it and building your actual layout we're going to talk about like you know should you have a mat underneath it or using these like metal terrain trays or different things Hmm. and then you know obviously in there once you're doing the layout you're talking about painting it and and adding those extra cool details and um and then building things like boss rooms like all right where the fight leads to where the where the big bad is um adding cool little bits and bobs like you know maybe a summoning chamber or or a mine cart or, or you know different things like that like mm-hmm. how how you incorporate all those really cool a- a- different levels to to your dungeon mm-hmm. um you know mm-hmm. from featured rooms to, to corridors to you know traps and we we're gonna do a whole section on traps and how you can like you do cool magnetic traps on nice. walls or, or little blades and fire projectors and different things um and then You know, taking it all the way down to featured builds and that's where we're going to show like some really awesome spreads of of, like what you'd want to see in like an old school white dwarf where you're like, look Mm -hmm. at this awesome, you know, Warhammer world exhibit we're going to do, you know, some four or five big featured builds and those are going to be like really in depth of like cool built layouts of like an underdark or a temple of the snake men and different things and those are again what we're going to tie adventures to that I'm going to write you know that you can have so if you really like that layout and you want to create something like that here's the adventure that goes with it and how you can play that in your D&D game or, or favorite you know setting whatever game system that might be.
0: Oh, that's cool. I mean, just thinking back to all of those old Mike McKeevey, M- McKeevey, McKeevey. It's one of those things. Mike McVeigh. Yeah. McVay. B- yeah. Thank you. God, I'm yep. blanking. Um, it's one of those things that you, you think back to all of those old like dioramas that used to be in Games Workshop publications that had multiple layers of there's a sewer underneath and maybe a sub sewer and then ground level and then some layers up above. But each one had its own little story going on and there was different things going on in each one. And to be able to do I mean, I found those so inspiring. But then likewise, digging through like Dave's book about how to build armies, in armies like, and armies, legions and horrors. Yeah. Oh, my. Yes. Except not the oh, my. Sorry. Armies, legions, and hordes. Just flipping through the pages and looking at the beautifully painted armies was so inspiring. And then to be able to now do that. And, of course, the terrain creation books with Mel Bowes, uh, again, looking at those terrain pieces and the little showcases at the end were so inspiring. Now to have that again, except from a more accessible standpoint... I'm really excited about that. I think that is going to be one of the best parts of this book and I can't wait to read it.
1: Anyway. Well we're very excited to bring it to, to life and we're, we're really hoping the Kickstarter does well and uh, you know it reaches a really good av- avenue, of lots of people that you're willing to see it all around the world and we're, we're really excited about uh, everything we have coming up for it.
0: Well, guys, if I haven't already beat it into the ground, let me say it again. If you go to Kickstarter and look, The Tremendous Tome of Decorating Dungeons, it is now live on Kickstarter. Uh, It will be running until the 4th of March, depending on where you are in the world. Uh, It is a shorter run than a lot of Kickstarters out there. I believe it's just three weeks, so you want to dig in and take a look. As I said, go to Kickstarter, The Tremendous Tome of Decorating Dungeons. And there's gonna be some great photos in there of some of the stuff that's gonna be in the book. Again, you can go to Cast Dice to see some of the stuff that Jeff has been talking about today. I will be putting that up on our page. But Jeff, if you can please hit us again with your Insta page, folks can check out some of your other stuff just to get an idea of what you're gonna be bringing to the table.
1: Yes, it's uh, the Instagram account is RPG Terrain Builds, uh, all one word there. Um, you know, I was trying to think of something that fit with what mostly the pictures I was going to be showing. Mm-hmm. So, uh, that's why I went with that, but yeah, RPG terrain builds on Instagram, uh, follow Dave Taylor miniatures on Instagram and Always. Facebook yep. and everything as well. And, uh, yeah, we we really appreciate you having us on Brad and, and myself on us, you know, talking in, in the third person there with Dave. Um, but we, we appreciate the, the support uh, for the project and, uh, I really had a great time chatting with you.
0: Well, one of the best parts about doing this podcast is being able to talk to people about things that I'm excited about. And uh, I have occasionally been in the past, uh, have, I've literally been accused of being a shill, uh, for example, for Warlord Games, because I do the Warlord Games podcast. Uh, but guys, let me just uh, just say this. If I'm talking about something on this show, it's something that I'm literally excited about uh, because, you know, I, I wouldn't do it otherwise. Um, I try not to be negative, but I only talk about the stuff that I'm super positive about. And I cannot wait for this book. I, I'm I'm really excited, and I can't wait to get my grubby little paws on it, like all the other books that Dave's had his uh, had his mitts on because the man the man does a good book. Uh, and yes, he does. And I am excited to see your part of that because what you bring to the tabletop is awesome. And again, thank you so much for taking the time, Jeff. It has been awesome talking shop.
1: Thanks, buddy. It's great to catch up with you and uh, look forward to talking to you again more in the future.
0: Definitely, man. Please come back. Now, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening. Uh, I know we do talk about Dave's stuff from time to time. I do recommend you check it out if you want. Uh, If you want to talk about this, if you have any questions, please message me. I can pass on any questions or comments you have. Again, if you have ideas for the show or anything you desperately want me to cover, uh, I know the messages have been coming thick and fast about what people want to hear on the show recently. I am writing it all down. I promise I'm going to get to as much of it, if not all of it, uh, as soon as I can. And I'm really excited to be uh, actually playing tabletop games in person again in 2022. And hopefully, long may that last, safely. Cast Dice will be going strong going into 2022, uh, both with the Warlord Games official podcast back and with just Cast Dice doing what it does. And hopefully we'll see some Beyond the First marker along the way as well. But ladies and gentlemen, when I start talking about all the different shows on this network, it's probably time to call it a day. As our buddy Casey always says, when you're playing the games that we know and love, I hope your dice roll hot. I hope your beverages are cold. But more than that, we at Cast Dice hope that you are having fun. Stay safe out there, guys. Good night.